Do you have trouble sleeping? Then Sleepscape could be your answer. A world first sleep aid podcast recorded live in some of Australia's most iconic places. I invite you to sleep under the stars. It's like you're actually there. Choose from over 10 locations. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Sleepscape. Choose where you sleep tonight. Two young police officers walk up to a white abandoned car in the exclusive South Yarra in Melbourne. As the young officers arrive, they're both shot dead in an ambush. It's 1988. This is 12 Minute True Crime. It was the early hours of October 12, 1988, when Constable Stephen Tynan, 22, and his probation constable Damien Eyre, 20, were sitting at the Pran police station in Melbourne. They received an innocuous radio call about an abandoned car. Hey, sorry, a moment, if you can slip down to Walsh, Walsh Street in uh, South Yarra. Just to highlight, there's a white Holden sedan, not knowing what the rego is. Got the lights on and the smashed windows in the middle of the road. Yeah, branch for 11, receive that, 26483. Normally that call about the car would have been answered by police units in St Kilda Road. However, at the time of the murders, St Kilda Road Police Station had a shortage of officers on duty and were unable to send a divvy van. The call also would have been diverted to units from South Melbourne, but on the night, the only available South Melbourne Police Unit, another divvy van, was operated by a female constable and a male constable who had been called into a suspected suicide in St Kilda. As Constables Tynan and Eyre were the first available officers in the area, the call was passed on to their divvy van. As they arrived at the scene, Constable Tynan walks towards the Holden car. The window is smashed and the headlights are on the cars in the middle of the road. This stage, it's just an abandoned car. The officer gets into the car and sits in it to examine the scene. While he's sitting in the car, he's shot at point-blank range in the head with a double-barrel shotgun. It was then thought that his partner, Constable Eyre, was shot in the back while standing outside the car. Despite having suffered serious wounds, Constable Eyre struggled with the attacker until another person approached him from behind. They removed his service revolver from its holster and shot him in the head. Residents on Wall Street called police to say they heard gunshots at 4.53am. I didn't look out my window immediately. I looked out maybe five minutes later because I was afraid a bullet might come through my window. And uh, I saw one of the neighbours' Commodores parked dead in the middle of the street with the doors wide open. I recognised it immediately and the police car was behind that with its lights on and its uh, engine running and then I saw a body on the road next to the Commodore which was one of the policemen's and I believe the other policeman was actually inside the Commodore. The police communications officer attempted to contact the two officers but to no avail. Yeah, South Melbourne 150, I sent Pran uh, 311 down to Wall Street. Um, since then I've had about three or four cars come down saying that they've heard shots fired in that street and I can't get Pran 311 at this stage. Police believed members of a Melbourne armed robbery gang had organised the murders. 
In the period up to April 1989, there'd been an unusual high number of fatal shootings of suspects by police. The killings of the two police officers were viewed by many as a form of payback by members of the Melbourne underworld. Chapter 2 The Lead Up to Murder There were around seven police murdered across a nine year period in Victoria. However, the Wall Street murders were the biggest investigation Victorian police had ever undertook. They called the investigation the Thai Air Task Force, a combination of the two surnames of the officers killed. At the height of the investigation, police had hundreds of officers working to investigate the murders. Certainly the worst incident of its type in my memory. Uh, in fact, it's only the second multiple killing of police in this state. The last one was in 1878 when the Kelly gang shot uh, uh, Lonigan, Kennedy and Scanlon at uh, Stringy Bark Creek. The investigations revealed the shotgun used to perform the murders was the same weapon used earlier in a bungled attempt to blast open a bank door during a robbery at the State Bank in Oak Park seven months earlier. The gunman was last seen fleeing over the fence of a nearby block of flats. The two policemen died before they reached local hospital. A gang dubbed the Flemington Crew by police had robbed at least four Melbourne banks. The robbers, caught on CCTV, had left shotgun shells at the scene. Seven months into the investigation, the shotgun itself was found half buried in an inner city golf course. The shotgun and shells became the single forensic link police had, linking the Oak Park robbery to the same shotgun used in the Wall Street murders. I think the whole community is outraged. It makes us again realise the hard job the police have to do and uh, how uh, they are always at risk in any situation uh, that they attend uh, as, our, uh, as our protectors. Members of the gang responsible for the robberies and subsequent shooting were believed to be Victor Pierce, Graham Jensen, Jed Horton, Peter McAvoy, Jason Ryan and Trevor Pentengill. One day before the police officers were killed, Graham Jensen, part of the Flemington crew, was killed in a police attempt to arrest him over a robbery. Police believe the killing of the two officers were payback for Jensen's death. I'm concerned for my welfare. Um, I'm concerned for my life. And indeed anybody else that is with me uh, when these cowboys come charging through with their guns drawn. Jason Ryan was another member of the Flemington crew and one of the accused. He became a lead prosecution witness in the trial and was offered immunity in exchange for his testimony. Police placed him under witness protection. His evidence changed a number of times in the lead up to the opening of the trial. Victor Pierce's wife, Wendy Pierce, also became a prosecution witness and entered the witness protection program. She'd previously maintained her husband was with her in a motel all night on the night of the murders. But I know in my own heart Victor's innocent of this and I have to do something about it. I have to, I cannot, this is my husband's life we're talking about. However, she retracted this alibi in preparation to testify against her husband. The truth is, Victor did get out of the bed that night. He did leave the motel. I heard him go and I heard him come back. 
Over a series of interviews, Wendy told police Victor planned and carried out the killings as revenge for the death of his mate, Graeme Jensen. He spoke to Maker and he said, um, he said, we'll knock him. He said, we'll, we'll knock the jacks. But in a pre-trial hearing, she retracted her retraction and, as a hostile witness, never appeared at the trial. I made that statement because I was scared because if I didn't, Victor would kill me. He would. He would have killed me. Chapter 3 The Trial All four men charged with the murders were acquitted in the Supreme Court of Victoria. There was pandemonium in the courtroom. Peter McAvoy and Victor Pierce turned to each other, half weeping, half laughing, while Trevor Pettingill and Anthony Farrell embraced each other, Farrell weeping so loudly he almost drowned out the other verdict. The prosecution case crashed after its star witness... Wendy Pierce, Victor Pierce's wife, refused to give evidence. Victor Pierce and Peter McAvoy were taken into custody on other charges. And while they were, they yelled, We'll be killed, we'll be killed. Victor claimed, after his acquittal, that he was afraid of police retribution and issued a statement in which he professed his innocence and requested to be left alone to work and prove to the community that he's not as bad as police and the press have made him out. In 2002, Victor Pierce was shot dead outside a Coles car park. The family of both officers killed pleaded for an inquest and the trial to be reopened. However, in 2011, this was denied. They asked Wendy Pierce to come forward and say what she knew. Wendy Pierce has got nothing to lose, and I, I, I appeal to Wendy Pierce to come forward and, uh, and, and, and give some evidence. She's admitted to perjury, and, she, and she's, um, she's done her time. A New South Wales court heard in 2010 that Peter McAvoy allegedly bragged to police officers that the sweetest thing he'd ever heard was the final words of a dying cop. In 2011, Wendy Pierce was back in the news. Since their acquittal, Pettingill has been convicted and jailed for drug trafficking and McAvoy for armed robbery. The murder of police in any society, and I believe, goes to the heart of the criminal justice system. We think in a higher justice anyway, they'll get what they deserve, everybody does, and we truly believe that they will. 